This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Captain Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. Let's make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Sailing frequencies open, sir. Engage. Hello, Engage listeners. Engage the official Star Trek podcast. Is back in your ear. My name is Jordan Hoffman. It's a pleasure to be with you again this evening, this afternoon, this morning. I don't think too many people listen to this show in the morning. I think most people listen to it in the uh, late at night when they should be asleep if they know what's good for them. But they're up listening to Engage. And we've got a great episode this week. But uh, actually, it's a bit of a red alert moment because if you recall, last week's show was a part one we had our buddy Frito on, and Frito and I were talking about old Star Trek games, particularly Star Trek video games from the 1990s. And then when it concluded, we said, next week we'll have part two. And next week's part two has already been recorded, but it's not running until next week. Why? Why is that? Because time is of the essence right now. We live fourth dim- four-dimensionally, and uh, we have ten more days of an exciting thing that's happening in Star Trek. Uh, If you are enough of a Star Trek fan to listen to the show, you probably know that there is a very successful Indiegogo campaign happening right now for a documentary about Deep Space Nine called What You Leave Behind, and um, it blasted through its initial Indiegogo goal in about a day, a little over a day, and now they are realizing that uh, this is going to be a successful film, Uh, And they have uh, encouraged fans to give more, dig deep. They have stretch goals. And we here at Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, uh, would like nothing more than to make this film a success. So we are going to have the people behind the um, film, the forthcoming film, as guests today. Who are these people? Brian, who are these people? I don't know. Tell me more. I'll tell you more. One is our old friend Adam Nimoy. Uh, the director of this forthcoming film, who previously directed uh, For the Love of Spock, he was the first person we ever interviewed for this show. It didn't air first, because we ba- uh, we banked a few. I think he was third, or maybe even fourth. Second. I think he I was think second. He was second, yes. He was second. I take it back. But we interviewed him um, months before the show ever really got started, because he was because For the Love of Spock was happening. It debuted at the Tribeca Film Festival in April, so I grabbed the microphone and talked to him. And I said, we're going to debut this uh, when the show debuts in June of 2016. So Adam will be back. And with him, and this is a real treat for me, 
one of the, not that Adam's not a treat, but I know him already. It's not that uh, sexy. What's sexy is Iris Stephen Bear and his colorful goatee. That's what's sexy. Iris Stephen Bear, the, the showrunner um, of DS9, for the bulk of DS9, for the good years of DS9, when it got really thick and juicy and the Dominion War arc took over, changing the face of television forever, uh, has never been a guest on this show. And we got him today. We got him because he is um, uh, one, one of the producers, sort of the principal interviewer and the, the, the central central figure of the DS9 doc, so I believe. I mean, they're still in the middle of shooting it, which is why they're raising money. They're raising money to shoot it uh, for post-production. And they're, uh, the, the real, uh, not the real, but one of the key elements to making a movie like this happen is they need to license the footage. I mean, it would be one thing to do this totally independent, and then they could say, oh, well, there's that great part, you know, that episode where Worf, you know, beats down 25 Jem'Hadar uh, in, that, in that prison sequence. And then, in, you know, you want to cut to it and see it. But to do that, you got to do it right. You got to license the, the, the video from uh, CBS. And to do that, it costs money. And that's what they're raising money for. So that's why the Indiegogo campaign is happening. And we're happy to let you know about it. You can go to Indiegogo.com slash... DS9 documentary, you can go to DS9, you can just Google DS9 documentary and you're going to find 15 different ways to learn more about the Indiegogo campaign. There's a lot of fun, um, what do they call them, prizes? Not prizes. Perks. Perks. There's a lot of fun perks. If you give X amount of bucks, you get this. If you give Y amount of bucks, you give that. If you can only give $5, that's fine. If you can't give anything, that's fine too because there's still fun stuff to watch. Uh, They have some really cool videos. They have videos with... um, the whole cast, when they announced this thing, and then they had a funny video, which was going a little bit viral the other day, of Jonathan Frakes, who is not a DS9 cast member. Jonathan Frakes, they did a goofy parody of uh, All the President's Men, where Iris Stephen Bear and Jonathan Frakes met in a uh, um, parking garage, and Frakes is in disguise, so he's got like a trench coat, and then he's wearing Groucho Marx glasses. Like, does anybody <laughs> recognize me? It's really goofy. It's only it's it's about a minute. It's a sixty second video, maybe ninety seconds. So check that out. That's all um, online uh, at, at at the official website, and then also at Indiegogo. Um, the campaign runs through March tenth. So that's why we had to put a halt on our two parter with Frito and games. The games can wait a week. We got to slip this episode in this week because the Indiegogo campaign ends March. 10th and we wanted to help out so we're going to get ira and um adam on the phone real quick but before we do let's just take care of some business real quick i just want to pause for just a moment and tell you about my favorite online um website website service service thank you you're like my walking thesaurus, Brian. <laughs> you're you have way you're way better than than I am. <laughs> I'm way better speak. You yeah, you way better speak. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we recorded the interview already, which I'm hoping I'm not saying too much. But no, you use some word that I'm like, what the hell was that? Something with an A, and I, I've never heard of it before. What word did I use? Um, you just gave away the secret, Brian. I did. I, I don't. I, mind. I just spoiled the whole podcast. I like being honest with the fans. Fans, we already spoke to Ira, and. And Adam. <laughs> and now we're doing what we call the beginning of the show at the end. We're going backwards <laughs> in time. We're going around the sun to save George and Gracie the whale. Uh, we do that sometimes because uh, we have a set time to talk. Oh, we'll get you on the phone at two o'clock. 
And then I try to get here early so we can do the intro and then call them up. And I get here at 158. It's like, oh my God, call them. They're in their offices in LA. They were at Paramount today, by the way. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. They got big offices. Ira Stephen Barry, he's no joke. <laughs> it's the company is uh, Dave Zeppone's film company. He does all the Star Trek he did for the love of the producer in Love of, for love of Spock and uh, the okay. Captains and um, the one about uh, TNG's first season, Chaos on the Bridge. I, so now I got to go back and listen to the episode and find what vocabulary word I used. <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up for next time. All right. So cool. So we're going to talk to um, um, Adam and Ira, and I guess we already know that the fo- you know there's no we gave away the ending. They did not get angry and hang up on us, <laughs> <laughs> so we know it exists. Or, or did they? Or did they? Yeah. Tune in. Stay tuned. But after you're done watching the episode, what you got to do is go to blueapron.com because blueapron.com is sponsoring the show and. It's a great service. I've used it. It is the third way between cooking for yourself and uh, ordering out. Um, Basically, you are cooking for yourself, but you get a special menu for the night, and you get all the ingredients, fresh ingredients sent directly to the door. So you don't have to go and do the shopping. It eliminates that step, but most importantly, it gives you the exact amount that you need if you're cooking for two or for three or for four or whatever it is. You get a great recipe of a healthy meal, but delicious meal that's just the right amount. The portions are good. And for example, when my wife made some sort of catfish situation with Swiss chard and a spicy rice, it gave us just the right amount of Swiss chard. Because if my wife had said to me, oh, run to the supermarket and buy some Swiss chard, I'd come back with a giant amount. You get like a whole plastic bag because they don't sell just a few. No. They sell a giant amount of Swiss chard. You cook with it. And then you leave it in the fridge, and it eventually gets mildewy and stale, and you throw it away. But when you belong to blueapron.com, it sends you the right amount. It sends you one carrot. It sends you a tiny little bit of rice wine vinegar in a tiny little plastic bottle. That way you say, oh, do I have rice wine vinegar in the house? Maybe. Then you look, you find it, you don't have it. Oh, crap. Or you go to the store, you buy a giant bottle, you use a tiny bit, and then it sits there for the rest of your life. Blueapron.com is the solution. And the food is really good. Cooking takes about a half hour. I mean, you are cooking. I mean, it gives you the carrot. You chop the carrot and you put it in the pan, but it eliminates the difficulty of doing the shopping and it eliminates the difficulty of knowing exactly how much to use. And the meal comes out perfect every time. And I say every time we're batting a thousand at our house when we use Blue Apron. You know how many times we've used it? Um, I'm hoping more than once. Uh, twice. <laughs> we did. We've had it twice and it's been good both times. So Great. we're batting a thousand. Great to hear. Blue Apron is great, and you're going to find out more by going to blueapron.com slash engage. Blueapron.com slash engage. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash engage. We love Blue Apron, and we love this conversation we're about to have. Let's turn it over now to the past, to go into the future, to talk to Adam Nimoy and Ira Stephen Bear. Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. All right, so we have something very exciting happening now. Let me open my communicator, and uh, two very important people 
have dialed in from the West Coast all the way in Los Angeles, California. Please welcome back to this podcast. He was actually the very first person we ever interviewed chronologically on the show. He wasn't the first episode. He was sort of the cage to the uh, where no man has gone before. Please welcome Adam Nimoy back. Hello. Hello, Jordan. Thank you for having me back. And with him uh, in the offices out there in L.A., we have a man who needs little introduction to Star Trek fans, Mr. Ira Stephen Bear. Hello, Ira. Jordan, how are you? How's the family? How are the kids? Whatever. Uh, The family is good. Uh, My wife had to move the car this morning, so she was a little annoyed, but that's, you know, I had somewhere I had to be, so that's how it worked out. Tell her I say hi. Okay, I will, I will. Um... Uh, now, we're doing this over the phone, and I, I, I can't see, so I, I, I just have to hope that Adam is telling me the truth. Adam, is Ira wearing a fun and funky hat right now with you in your offices? He is. <laughs> Can you describe the hat, please? Well, the hat is just a, it's just a straw, normal, Ira's usual go-to. Okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> Su- sunglasses or no sunglasses? It's my mind's eye just from that description. <laughs> It's like I don't even have to look up. I just feel uh, like I can see it floating. It's in front a of me. dark brown, and uh, it's very tasteful, and it really sets off the his uh, sunglasses and his uh, blue goatee. Well, that was the next question. The sunglasses are on. I mean, it is L.A. I mean, it's this bright out there, so the sunglasses are on, and the goatee is blue today. I, it was purple last I saw. Blue, purple. It's all perception. Okay, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. You know. You know, Adam, you are a visual storyteller, and even over the phone, I, I just, I have an image that I love. So, um, well, this is terrific because, um, like I said, Adam, you were one of our first guests when you had your, your last film, the feature film for The Love of Spock, which played at festivals all over the country, and internationally, too. What am I talking about? You were in Italy, you were in Spain, you were all over the place, and now you are involved in a new project, and it's a very interesting way to go for you as a director because it was a project that was that you sort of jumped on uh as the, as the train was leaving the station the train was already out of the station and now your train has collided with that train to form a more beautiful train and everything's rising <laughs> everything is going into the terminal at the same time and um i, I want to get into the nitty-gritty of the working process but first the reason why we're having this conversation asap right now is because for two weeks remaining uh this film uh the documentary about deep space nine which fans have been hearing about you know in rumblings for years now is really a uh, a rocket ship that's taking off and is currently uh causing ripple effects and breaking records over at indiegogo uh, and uh, if you're listening to the show the minute it comes out on wednesday the first of march there are 10 days remaining on the Indiegogo campaign. Now, guys, when you launched this campaign, you were looking at 200 grand, and you reached that initial number in, in how long did it take? Well, it was actually, uh, Jordan, it was 150, 148 and change because we collected some from the, uh, <laughs> squeezed some money out of the original cast members uh, when we were in San Francisco at the convention there. Uh, we were looking for, for about $148,000, which we managed to generate in about 27 hours. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was overwhelming for us. We were all shocked, frankly, when we, uh, we saw the response. There's a lot of uh, fans out there who love Deep Space Nine and are very anxious to see this documentary. 
So with the time remaining, you switch gears very quickly and said, look, uh, not, you know, let, let's not stop now. We can turn this project into something that's even bigger and bolder and better. And you have initiated some stretch goals and it's looking like you'll be reaching that as well. Yeah, I think we're, we're just under 400,000 now. Um, we've really expanded the, the, the scope of the project in terms of the time, the length alone uh, will expand. But also it enables us to acquire more clips from CBS from the uh, original episodes. And we are now in discussion uh, with CBS about trying to get to the original negatives to uh, rescan them to, to give a high definition resolution to our film so that uh, Deep Space Nine can be seen in high def for the first time. Oh, I did not know that. I'm glad I'm sitting down. This is really exciting. Yeah, we're excited about that, too. And CBS is open to discussions. It's expensive. It's complicated. There's a lot of logistics involved. But now that we, uh, we uh, you know, have the, the, the financial backing to, to kind of pursue this, uh, we're really uh, determined to make it happen. Well, this is the Pandora's box that needs opening because, you know, there's been a lot of talk about TOS and TNG have been remastered for high def. Um, and Enterprise already was in high def, so it's easy to do. But for DS9 and Voyager, it's never happened. And there is a sound economic reason because it's very, very expensive to do this. And the bean counters look and they say, look, I don't think that it's going to be a profitable move for us to do. But maybe the momentum from this Indiegogo campaign can prove once and for all that this is something that the fans demand. And Ira, I would imagine that you would love nothing more than to see, you know, to, to, to visit uh, Bajor and Cardassia Prime in the beauty of a high definition, correct? I've never left. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yes, obviously, uh, for many, many, many years and decades, it seems, you know, I've uh, talked to people about getting DS9 and HD. I've talked to all the, the people on the show who were in post. The Akunas, the Drexler, and Cariolo's people, for years I'd see them meeting up at times to discuss ways of making it happen. But, you know, that's not what I set out to do with the doc. No, no. It's an offshoot of it. You know, it's, if, if that doesn't happen, I'm not going to feel like, oh, damn, that was something that, uh, that was a, a level of success we did not reach. It's a total offshoot. Like you say, it has to do with money. It has to do with other things. It's not so much uh, a matter of of the series itself. It's just the the technology and how the film was shot, how the special effects were shot back then, and and the changeover. So it would be nice, but right, right. It's a, it's an added value thing. But it's 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 funny because this is this is news to me, and I I've mentioned it. A few times, whenever, Adam, your film For the Love of Spock comes up on this show, and I, I think I've mentioned this to you, the thing that surprised me the most, in addition to it being a very heartfelt and warm documentary with a lot of great interviews and, 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 and just an overall tremendous piece of work, was seeing it um, in New York at the Tribeca Film Festival, and you did have clips of the original series, um, and I've, I know those like the back of my hand, because I've been a fan since uh, In Utero. And when I saw, I had never seen those clips projected in a theater before, in high def. And to see it like that was just like a total new 
a new way. So it was very exciting. And, and either way, seeing clips of DS9 uh, when this film, you know, does play, I would imagine, uh, at film festivals and, and makes itself available over time, uh, that's going to be a real trip to see this to see this stuff again, you know, possibly projected in the theater with other fans. Um, well, yeah, just imagine if we do get a chance to do the clips now. I'm not talking about the series, but if we could do the clips for the doc in high depth, that would be extremely cool. And plus, it would give the fans another decade of, of dreaming about what the whole series would look like. It would be that little taste, that lovely little taste. That first yeah. injection that leads to so many others. <laughs> Absolutely. And we can scrutinize each of Jadzia's trill dots in beautiful high definition and really uh, really get to get intimate with them. So that would be very exciting for, for a great number of us. Um, now, you know, we've been talking about the sort of in broad strokes. So let's talk a little bit about what the heck this movie is. Because people hear DS... I'm going to play... Not devil's advocate. I'm going to play a pa wraith's advocate with you for a moment, the both of you, my friends. Uh, I am someone who looks askance at Indiegogo and says, DS9 documentary, look, I've got my DS9 DVDs. I've seen the behind-the-scenes footage. I've seen those interviews with Ira and, 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 and with Nana Visitor and all those cats before. What, what am I going to learn new? What do I need with a new DS9 documentary now in 2017? What possibly is out there that I haven't seen already? And you two say... You're right. Holy <laughs> shit. What have we done, Adam? You know what? We're going to just call it right now. We're not going to move forward. That was... That argument, I cannot... That, that's a foolproof, waterproof <laughs> argument. There's nothing I can say. Good night. Goodbye. God bless. Oh, no. Wait, that was not what I wanted to have happen with that. That was the exact opposite. Look, what happened... What actually happened was, uh, I'll try to make this brief, um, you know, I was asked to participate in the captain's documentary. I was asked to participate in the uh, Chaos on the Bridge documentary. I got, during that time, I kind of got friendly with uh, Bill, and uh, Bill and I had a lot of fun with Bill. I kind of enjoyed the experience. And uh, at the same time, I had been away from any of the conventions or doing anything with Deep Space Nine for at least 12 years, maybe longer. And I was kept in touch with a lot of the writers, a lot of the actors, but I was always obsessing about Avery. I wanted to see Avery. I was wondering about Avery. I had no contact with him whatsoever. And I just wondered what it would be like to see Avery. So when they had the 20th anniversary at uh, Vegas, I went to the convention partly to see Avery and see what that would be like, because I had no idea what that would be like, to be honest. And when we met up, you know, we had like a five-minute hug <laughs> right there in front of everyone. It was, it was quite an emotional moment, oddly enough. Um, it was really lovely. It really meant a lot, I think, to the both of us. And then Dave Sapone came up to me on the floor of the convention and said, hey, you know, uh, what about a DS9 documentary, which is something I had never even considered. Um, and he said, you know, things have changed in terms of the fan reaction to it. 
would you want to do it? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, Bill is not going to do another Star Trek documentary. Would you like to be Bill and, and do the interviews and hang out with the people? And I, and for that reason alone, I said, uh, yes. And uh, one of the things that Avery said to me uh, was, have you noticed the change in the fan reaction uh, at, the, at, at these conventions? It, it, definitely at the Vegas convention. I mean, there's a whole new wave of fans, people who hadn't been born when the show was on. I mean, it was pretty amazing how much had changed. Uh, the show hadn't changed, but the fan reaction had changed, and I wanted to find out why. Yeah, why. well, well, well uh, culture changed. You know, pretty much all of American culture caught up with DS9 in terms of, uh, you know, uh, DS9 was shot before 9-11, and uh, that incident affected a lot of the way we think about the world in this country. And uh, DS9 came out at a time when serialized television was the domain of shows like Falcon Crest and Dynasty. And a serious show, quote unquote serious, not to besmirch Dynasty, didn't do that sort of thing. And people can quibble a little bit about who was the first, but DS9 was the first that did it in in on such a stage, I would say, and and now you can't. You want Jordan about Dynasty, but watch your mouth when it comes to Falcon. Okay. <laughs> Don't cross that line, but once you cross that line, there's no going back. I I I, I hold so Falcon. <laughs> Falcon Crest is a lovely program. Don't get me Thank wrong, you. but but uh, but you see what I'm saying. Um, there now and nowadays, of course, you you can't just watch a television show. You need to do your homework beforehand. You can't just watch episode three of a show. You need to go back, and that was something that uh, didn't exist before DS Nine. But not DS Nine at first. It kind of eased into it. It kind of and and if I'm not mistaken, you were the principal motivator to make that happen. Correct. Well, I always felt that all I was doing was was following the path that Mike and Rick had laid out, you know? I mean, maybe, the, the, I can't speak for them, but I know that, you know, Michael said to me before the show was on, after I left TNG, he wanted me to come back, and he said, if I came back to do the show that became DS9, you know, he would turn the show over to me after the second season, um, so I, I, I thought that sounded kind of interesting, but he also said the show would represent my sensibilities a lot more than Next Generation did. And, uh, so I watched the, you know, I read the Bible. This is all before the show was shot. Mm. I mean, or cast. So I read the Bible, I read the script, and I'm thinking, 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 then... I come on the show, it's the casting process, Pete Fields and I are sent off to start coming up with story ideas, and it's, and yes, it's, it's, a, it's the infancy, and I, I can't say that I knew exactly what the show was going to be in its, in its fruition, but I did know what I did not want it to be. I was very clear in my mind what I did not want it to be, and I thought that this show had the opportunity to be something different. Quickly, that became an issue uh, after the pilot during uh, those first two seasons. But uh, 
all I try to do is stay the course that I felt the show deserved and and the reason for the show's existence. Yeah. Now, now, um, I've long. Uh, there's a theory that you sometimes hear people talk about, and, and and you know maybe it's good running it by you first because you would you would know the answer that um, DS9 was was a little bit left alone once it was cooking because you were in a sense the middle child. You had the uh, TNG movies were happening, big budget. They're on stage A, and on stage C, you have the beginning of Voyager happening, and they were changing Kate Mulgrew's hairstyle every every other week, and they had a lot of eyeballs on that, and you guys were on budget, and you had enough ratings, and they pretty much left you alone. Is there is there some truth to that theory, or is that sort of revisionist history? Hello? Yeah, yeah sorry, Jordan, we're conferring here. We were just conferring here. Well, the story that I've, I've told before, but it's definitely... Uh, one of the major turning points of the series, in my mind, um, was not in season one, not in season two. I don't think it might have been the end of season two or the beginning of season three, but it's when Voyager was premiering and uh, just before it premiered. And uh, Mike came to me and said, um, he came to my office and he was very serious. And Mike and I, you know, were very, very close, Michael Peller and I. And he closed the door and he was, he didn't sit down. He was pacing up and back. I was thinking, what the hell is going on? You know? Uh, and he said, look, I, I just want you to know, I think you guys, I think you're doing a great job with the show. You know, I love Deep Space Nine. I love what you're doing with it. But it isn't, and it's never going to be the flagship show of the franchise. It is not the franchise. Voyager is going to be the franchise. It's, it has a ship, and Star Trek is about starships. And, you know, that, that's it. There's nothing you can do about it. You'll do great work, but Voyager is Star Trek, and I'm sorry. I know that's tough, blah, 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 and and he looked very kind of, you know, melancholy when he told me it. He, he knew he was driving a stake through my heart, and he left, and as soon as he closed the door, I just lifted up both my arms and said, yes, this is going to be great, you know, this is going to be fantastic. We were already the bastard middle child. I mean, we already knew... You know, we'd spent two years in the shadow of deep, uh, of TNG, so we kind of figured this was going to happen. But the major thing was, yes, you know, it was going to be a lot of focus on that show and less and less focus on our show. And that is exactly what we wanted at that point and what we needed in order to do the kind of uh, things that were a little bit different for the franchise that we wanted to do. A little bit different for the franchise. And you mentioned before that um, the reaction now and part of the impetus for making this film is that now, decades later, younger fans are discovering the show and reacting to it in a way that fans at the time who maybe were a little bit puzzled um, are just embracing it for for what it is. I mean, is that reaction a surprise for you or did you kind of have a sense all along that, oh, they'll get this at some point? Well, I don't know if it was a surprise. I guess it's a 
surprised. But let me make it clear. There was a long period where DS9 represented to me, you know, Jeff Combs, Casey Biggs, Renee, Armin, Ron, Robert, Renee. It was the people. That's the only connection I had left. I wasn't thinking about where Deep Space Nine, I was done with all that. We had done the show. I had told everyone it's going to take years for people to really appreciate the show. So I wasn't thinking about it. It wasn't like, hmm, I wonder what the fan reaction is to Deep Space Nine at these conventions that I don't go to. So it, it wasn't, it just didn't exist for me. When I did go back, I was blown away by, I mean, I always kind of, even when I went to the Pasadena shows back when the show was on, I, I you know, I kind of dug the fans. I thought they were kind of much more interesting in reality than in perception or how the, the media presents them. But when I got to this festival, and I mean to this convention, started to go to some other conventions all over in Germany and in England, and it's like, my God, this is like really bizarre. People, all the stuff, you know, Gene Roddenberry, Star Trek, what Gene would have thought, would Gene have liked this, would Gene have not liked this? Is this okay? Is this allowed? Does this break canon? Does it not? None of that mattered. Do they like the show or not like the show? That seemed to be the criteria. For years, that's what I was fighting for. It's like, why are we trying to live up to what Gene wants when no one really knows what Gene would have wanted in this situation or whether he would have been correct, you know? Right, that's another point, yeah. So, uh, you know, so that that's the big thing. The, the fans have been way before Indiegogo. And let me tell you, the, the, the Indiegogo response speaks for itself, you know? in yeah. terms of the fans. But beyond that, I'm just talking about one-on-one -on -one standing at a, at a coffee shop in a hotel and online waiting for coffee and talking to the fans or walking through the hallway or sitting. You know, I'll go sit watching Nana and Terry or, or whoever on stage just for the hell of it because I'm there and it's like, let's see what people have to say. Right. And I'll, I won't stay backstage. I'll sit with the fans. I'll sit amongst the fans and kibitz with them. And it's it's all kind of interesting stuff. And I love, as Adam will tell you, I love meeting fans who still don't like the show. <laughs> it kind of validates me. Well, it does, it does. It does. It's funny. I mean, I say this to people all the time. Um, going to a Star Trek convention and seeing what's happening on the stage is, is in a way, secondary. The convention, to me, the the other convention goers are the reason to go. It's it's all the stuff that's happening after hours and on the sides. Uh, that's the most fun, and and just seeing people and sometimes seeing the same people. It's like, oh, that's a guy I had a I had an argument with last year. Let's argue with him again. And you're right, people still do argue. And you know, uh, since I've got you on the phone, the the argument that that comes up the most about DS Nine, if you want to pinpoint the sing the 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 moment in all of Star Trek that maybe tips the scales, the most controversial moment in all of Star Trek, as far as I'm concerned, is the episode in the pale moonlight when uh, Cisco uh, erases his log entry and lets Garrick get away with basically murdering Ambassador Vrenak to get the to get the Vulcans involved, the Vulcans, excuse me, to get the Romulans involved in the Dominion War. And it's the greatest moment in the greatest arc and the greatest television and it's and it keeps you up at night but there are some people who still say 
that's oh my god how could he have done that captain kirk would never do that captain picard would never do that i can't handle the fact that this is happening and now it's decades later and people still can't handle it well i'm kind of amused by it because it's there's so many kind of uh threads (laughs) that are interconnected with what you just said number one again i'll try to be brief my my big my big of all the stories about my year on TNG, the one I always talk about is my meeting with uh, with uh, Gene when uh, he dinged an episode I was going to write about Picard having uh, um, problems about fears about getting old and being kicked up to being an admiral, whatever it is. It was the original show where he would go to Riza and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that show got dinged. And in the midst of it all, Gene Rodberry said to me, you have to understand, uh, Captain Picard is John Wayne. And John Wayne has no fears, no, no concerns. He, he, he's, he's the well-rounded, strong human being without any, any fears. So, okay. And I try to explain to him that that's not who John Wayne was in his best movies, but that's another story. So now, years later, In the Pale Moonlight is being rewritten. And basically, what I said to Ron was, what we're doing here is, and if you, have, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. We're doing The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance, starring who? John Wayne, about a man who, who kills an outlaw but allows another man to t- uh, take the responsibility. And that man winds up becoming the senator of the state, becomes an absolute, absolute hero. And John Wayne uh, goes off and dies unknown, forgotten. He loses the woman. He becomes a drunk. His life is ruined because he shot this guy, let the other guy take the credit, blah, 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 blah. And I said, what we're going to do is we're going to have – Avery do something that's so far beyond what is acceptable and and he's going to say that I can take it, which is basically what John Wayne tells Jimmy Stewart. You could not murder a man in cold blood. I can do it. And that's why I did it. And I can live with it, which turns out to be a lie in the movie because he can't live with it. He becomes a drunk. He becomes this. His, his life is ruined, basically, by that moment. And so that's all that was. That was my little salute to John Wayne because, you know, Gene Roddenberry told me that Jean-Luc <laughs> Picard was John Wayne. So what, in terms of narrative storytelling and storytelling, which is just an interesting thing to have your hero have to cross the line, which is done all the time, in Star Trek, because of all those rules and regulations <laughs> and all those... BS kind of what it can and can it not be. All these artificial constraints that have nothing to do with storytelling. Something like In the Pale Moonlight stands out like this unbelievable, (laughs) amazing, like life-changing, brilliant, and it's a great episode. Sure, sure. But it's the one, but, 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 but. You know, I give the audience more credit than, than I guess 
you know, it's like they should expect every episode to be that good <laughs> and that conflicted and that interesting. Right, but Ira, don't you see what makes Star Trek so brilliant is that it has these these con- these constraints. Well, you call them constraints. We fans call it world building and this uh, this depth. And it's when the story glides up alongside them, and and there's friction between these boundaries and and the drama. That's where it really sparkles. And that's why fans get crazy when it colors a little bit outside the line. That's why, that's why some people love DS9 and some people still get apoplectic when they think about that episode. I know, but the bottom line is we made that statement in season two when Cisco said it's easy to be a saint in paradise, but we're not here in paradise. We're in, on the frontier. He said that in the Marquee Part 2. Yep. And, and that really was another. That was a statement of, of intent and telling the audience, you got to open your mind up a little bit, you know? It's easy when you're on a starship, you know, all those other crews, you know, yes, you had your Klingon, you know, uh, and your Vulcan, but basically it was a bunch of human beings walking around those corridors of those starships, overwhelmingly human beings, uh, and, and, you know, DS9 isn't that. DS9 is a melting pot of different races, different ideas coming together and having to find a way to live together and finding a way to do the right thing in spite of the fact that you have different agendas sometimes. You know, it's a goddamn show about started out about bringing Bajor into the Federation. Well, guess what? Seven years later, Bajor... That wasn't even on the table anymore about Bajor coming in. And the captain, the Federation captain became a Bajoran god. Right, right. You know? Well, I I like to refer to it as a, as my uh, it's a Russian novel in space. Really, it's a giant. Uh, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, well, I mean, so you know, but but now it's it's de- it's decades later, and I think what what you were alluding to earlier is that most. I want to say most of the younger fans. I mean, it's hard when people ask me what's your favorite of the of this year. I say I love all my Star Trek shows equally. They're all wonderful, even even the worst episodes. I still have love in my heart for them. But um, you know, certainly, m- almost everybody would agree that the richest show, the, the the deepest show, the one with the most intrigue, is DS Nine for sure. Um, but I, I I think ninety nine percent would agree. And you know, at, at the conventions where where I host the fan panels. We, uh, we we did a fun um, thing where we were ranking. Uh, we do a lot of ranking things: top ten this, top ten that, and we wanted to do top ten characters who were not main characters, so not bridge officers. You know, there's no 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 Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Who were the best ten characters of Star Trek? And it was so quickly overwhelming that we were really just voting for top nine because Garrick was so far and ahead. At number one, instantly, that it became a joke. People were just voting for Garrick overwhelmingly. And uh, I bring this up because Garrick, in a way, is, is in my head, sort of the quintessential DS9 character because he's so mercurial and there is a lot of, uh, you don't quite know what the heck is going on. And he's a character that could not exist on any of the other series. And, um, you know... I don't really have a question for you. That was just sort of that. This is like at a convention when this fan gets up and just starts talking, doesn't really have a question. But, question, Jordan. I don't have a question. I just wanted to let you know that Garrick is cool. Is that all right? Can I do that? 
Yes, you can. I'll just say this. There's no one cooler and no one smarter than Andy Robinson. Um, just a wonderful guy. And, and you know, so much of Garrick was given to us by Andy. I mean, the character was created, uh, you know, plain, simple Garrick. That's Peter Allen Fields. That's uh, one of the things that Peter brought to the table was was plain simple Garrick and it it is a it's an amazingly interesting character. I will say this, you know, as popular as he was at the time, I think again over the years, Jordan, his popularity as the show is the audience perception has changed, his popularity has grown quite a bit. You know, I'm not sure in in ninety nine they would have said Garrick was the was their favorite character, you know. Uh, of the recurring people. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, he, he's aged very well. For sure. So let's bring it back now to the, to the film and the campaign, which is still going for 10 more days. Um, one cool aspect of the movie, in addition to sort of uh, reassessing the show and new interviews and licensing um, footage from CBS, is uh, one chapter that is, that's gotten a little bit of publicity, which is a really innovative idea, which is you brought together many of the writers of DS9 into a room and you sort of put together your pitch for what, and I don't want to ask what it is because I don't want it to be spoiled, but um, decided to pitch what episode one of season eight would be. And I'm just kind of curious about how, uh, if you can give us a little bit of behind the scenes of how that day went, not the content of that, of that day, but uh, you know, how long did it take? Uh, how long, how long was everybody in the room together? Well, uh, it was probably all together around eight hours, I think. Um, I'm sure that Dave uh, would know that better than I, since I was kind of in the white heat of it. You know, partially that's that day came about because of what Avery said to me about just don't make it talking heads. I don't want to do talking heads. Now, a bunch of writers in the room with talking heads, but I really wanted to do something different that never had been done on DS9 or anywhere else that I knew of. So when I, I, I proposed it to Dave, he just like freaked out and thought it was the greatest. You know, I was concerned about a lot of things. I told the, the writers that, uh, we're not gonna. We're not going to, you know, confab ahead of time. We're not going to put our ducks in a row so that we actually know what we're going to talk about and just make it look good. We're not going to discuss it at all. There was only one rule, and even that you didn't have to stick to. I told everyone they had to watch the final episode of the series uh, just to get caught up to speed again so everyone remembered where everyone left. I said, if you really don't want to do that, then look at the Wikipedia page. (laughs) We've got to do something in order to know uh, uh, where we're starting out. Uh, And that's it. We just sat down cold, colder than we would have been, because in actuality, if it would have been a real story break, you know, you talk about it beforehand. You talk about it over lunch the day before. You talk about it in the morning before you sit down. Right. I mean, we had no no level of, of where we were going, no discussions at all. Moreover, when was the last time all these people were in the same room together? Probably years. Yeah, I mean, we'd all been together. I've been together with everyone separately uh, and and together with some, you know, 
some, you know, two here, three right, here, right, whatever. Right. But no, sitting down, all of us, uh, it was it was a uh, it was it was quite the uh, thing, and and it went. Uh, it, it was amazing how quickly it all just came back. I mean, it was really everyone had a great time. There's no secret. Everyone had a fantastic time. Um, lovely, my 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 lovely Renee Echeverria. He was the only one who every now and then when someone would say like, okay, but what if I, in episode five, if we do this now in episode five, and Renee would go, wait a second, wait a second. What episode five? <laughs> Guys, we're not even doing this episode. What does it matter what's going to happen? I said, Renee, you've got to believe. Come on. <laughs> he kept getting like totally confused how seriously. I think he thought it was going to be a little more like just, shooting the breeze and, and just kind of, he didn't know we were going to sit down. We we're going to have the storyboard there. We were going to break every scene as best we could for that first episode. And to give the major thing away, which I've already told. Wait, I haven't heard it. I don't know that I want to hear it. Well, no, this is not, has nothing to do with, you, you'll never hear, no one's going to tell you anything about the story. Oh, okay. Okay. But we did make one mistake. Oh. We made one huge mistake, and it came because we had eight hours, and we were just going white heat. And after everyone left, that day, that same day, I'm sitting there. Uh, uh, Ron was still there because we were using our offices at Outlander to break the story. But everyone else had gone. And I'm sitting there with, with Dave and the guys who had filmed it. And I'm looking at the board, and then it hit me. Like, I can't believe no one had figured it out before I mentioned it. We totally left that a story arc for Quark. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> He's in the show. He's in the show. But he doesn't have much to do. He does not have his own arc. And, and that's, that, uh. you know, that was a mistake that came from lack of, you know, the lack of planning, which I thought was excellent and well done. You know, there was a price to pay. Oh, no. And when I told Armin about it, he was not happy at I would, all. I would imagine not. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's what rewrites are for. I mean, you know, he has a... Look, you, don't, you never actually break. It's very rare. you got to really have the gods on your side to break a full hour episode in one day. Sure. Okay? And what? that's if you're on a show day in and day out. Here we're coming back after 20 years, sitting our asses down in the seats, and saying, okay, let's make some magic here. So the fact that we got through it is amazing. I was worried we'd get like three quarters through the episode and we'd have to call it a day because we weren't going to meet again. It had to be one day. That was the rule. Right. And everybody's busy also. You know, you yeah. got, and can you give us a quick rundown of who who, who was everybody in these? It was Renee and, and, and uh, Ron Moore. And who else was in there? Robert Hewitt-Wolf, Hans Beimler, and myself. Um, um, I was going to, uh, the, 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 so we left uh, uh, my buddy David Weddle and Bradley Thompson, who were there in the last season and written freelance. I just felt I was concerned if we brought too many people in, you know, I was worried about wrangling, you know, it, it, it could become just, uh, you know, sitting around and friends talking, right. getting together. So I had, a, I had Pete Fields was, was, uh, you know, is too ill, unfortunately, or has health issues, let's put it that way, mm. um, and had been away from the show for a long time. I would love to have Petey there. And Jim Crocker, uh, 
had moved away and was no longer anywhere near town. So, um, so those are the guys we could get. Those were the guys uh, who who would together the longest on the show. And uh, even with all those minds in the room, we still forgot. <laughs> so there you go. Well, Five of us, not one of us said, hey, wait a second. It's a lot of folks. Well, you know, it's funny because to a lot of fans, um, post... Uh, Post season seven, uh, DS nine still you know is out there in a lot of the the tie in books that are always coming out. I'm just curious. Um, ha- do you ever read any of them? Have you read any of them over the years? Do, does that interest you? Are you curious, or is it something that you'd rather just let it be for the fans who like them and and leave it aside? I, I have not read any of them. At one point, I hope I'm not misspeaking, but many years ago, some comic company. There was some talk about if I wanted to do write a DS9 graphic novel, and uh, I chose not to do that. Um, so no, I mean I felt uh, I felt blessed to have seven years right. on the show. There was a lot of aggravation involved in those seven years. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but um, you know I did my 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 time. And, uh, yes, I would love for there to have been a feature film, but you know what? I kind of like it for the, for the, you know, in reality, I would love there to have been a film. And maybe one day there will be, but that will be a whole new cast probably and all that stuff. But yeah. I also like for the legend of DS9, that outlier middle child. Yeah. We don't need a movie. We don't need anything. We don't need books. We don't need comic books. We don't need puppet shows. You know, we don't need anything. <laughs> We had 170 odd episodes of television, and if that isn't enough for you Americans out there who always want more and bigger, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's that's what you have. All right. Fair. Well, so, so, on, on behalf of the, some of the fans, I just some of those books are great. Some of them aren't so great, and you know, it's it's not for you, but that's okay. I can understand you being in the position you are, not wanting to read those books, but some of them are great, and fans can understand the difference between the books and the show, and. We can, we can make it happen in our most of us can make it happen in our heads what's what's uh, what's the different uh, levels there um, speaking of levels by the way for people who donate to the indieGogo which is still happening by the way and what is that URL that we have written down for fans that want to go for the few fans that can't find it just by figuring it out it's indieGogo.com slash it's just uh, Deep Space Nine, What We Left Behind is the name of the documentary. Or they can go to our website at ds9documentary.com. There'll be links there to the Indiegogo campaign either way. Nice. And there's also, you're on Twitter at DS9Doc and Facebook. And it's pretty hard not to see, not to find you. It's it's very, very findable. Uh, and for people who donate, there's, as one does in, the days, in, in these days of crowdsourcing, you've got some really cool um, trinkets and goo-gaws and specials. For uh, if you give X amount of bucks, you get this. If you give more, you get that. There's some really cool T-shirts. I saw a T-shirt of Major Kira as Che Guevara, which um, I must own. So we'll have to talk about that afterwards uh, about what what amount I need to give. Um, it's pretty cool. And there are some other things. Can you tell us some of the other some of the ones on the higher end are pretty entertaining? Can you tell us a little bit about those? No. <laughs> Adam, you know what's going on 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 these higher end uh, uh, 
I, I don't, Jordan. It's really Kai who's running the whole campaign. Oh. He, he can speak to that much better than I ever could. I mean, there's, there's you know, you can have lunch with uh, Adam and myself in the... Uh, I think at the commissary, there's a, a night uh, a dinner with uh, Jimmy Darren, uh, <laughs> Fontaine. Well, that I, would be I, amazing. I, I I met him on the Star Trek cruise, and a night that to have dinner with that guy is a uh, is a that's worth whatever whatever you're charging charge double. That's going to be incredible. Yeah, we just did a movie, Jimmy and I, and he was fantastic in it, and it's. It's uh, it's pretty exciting to have worked with Jimmy again. Um, uh, so no, I have to say I'm so impressed with the job that Kai has done and the guys have done coming up. You know, because I know nothing about this world, and they've just come up with so many cool. Uh, there's a, there's now a, a, a Ferengi T-shirt. There's um, Terry's cook. I mean, there's so many. Yeah, but can, can we pull? Kai is right next door, Jordan. Can I just pull him in to do? Yeah, a quick- go grab him real quick. I, the one that the one that uh, I noticed, and I, unless I'm mistaken, and I don't want to get the fans too excited, I think one of them is you get to have dinner at Nana Visitor's home. If I'm not mistaken, yes. she's like, if you want to come over and have tea. Incredible! Is that incredible? And this Nana, I think. Either volunteered for or said yes immediately. Yeah. That is, and I happen to be able to tell people because I have knowledge of what a great cook she is. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, that's one that's going to pay dividends. Sure. You know, I, um, I, she lives here in New York and I do too. And I think as a podcaster, I need to go on a ride along to that and just bring my microphone. So I'm going to have to uh, reach out to her and see if i can make that happen and also on the low i mean these we're talking those donations are are high though on the lower end there's really cool uh um one-of-a-kind little pins and you know you want to you know really groovy uh, you know pins and and uh, you know like i said t-shirts and things of that nature that are more on the lower end because um you know you want to get something back for for uh, donating uh and uh, also invitations to the screenings when they eventually happen either in los angeles or new york things yeah like that. You, you got it all it's all good yeah, yeah. jordan I'm, i've just talked to kai a lot of the high-end stuff is gone actually uh and oh. we're trying to dream up more stuff to to offer uh if you have any you know ideas in the back of your mind you know what if somebody wants to donate and be a guest on this podcast we can talk I don't know. I don't know what the person would want to do. Also, I don't know what they would give. Maybe eighty-eight cents to be a guest on this podcast. But uh. oh, okay, <laughs> let's, run that, let's, let's run that. You mean to talk about Star Trek? Whatever they want to talk about, DS Nine or just the franchise in general? Uh, yeah, I you know I like talking to the fans anyhow. They can contact me and uh, we'll we'll work something out. My people will talk to your people. I, okay. I all right, great. We'll um, and then also. Um, yeah, no, so we, we were saying there are a lot of really cool things. So we got 10 more days uh, to make it happen, and then um, and then you get to editing. And then, and then Adam, you, you go into an editing bay and, and don't see daylight for, for, for quite some time. And then eventually this thing is done, and, and probably much like For the Love of Spock, will make its debut at, at a, a recognized and beloved film festival, I would imagine, is, is the plan, correct? Yeah, that, I mean, that's the general plan. We still have production uh, that we're, we're planning to conduct in terms of more extensive interviews, uh, interviews with people we haven't talked to yet. Um, yes, there is a lot of material that's already accumulated before I even came on board. Um, but now that we're kind of hammering out what the, what the scope of this documentary is, we want to uh, look deeper uh, and talk to more people about 
um, some of the background of the show. So we have production to do as well as, yes, a hell of a lot of post-production in terms of sifting through the material. And most important now, with the financing, uh, the financial backing that we've gotten from the fans, this idea of uh, working with CBS to uh, rescan the negative. So um, there's a lot of work ahead of us, and we have some very hard deadlines because we are trying to make the science fiction, fantasy, horror, film fest circuit uh, this year at uh, it's Fantasia in uh, Montreal and, and Sitges in Spain and, uh, and Trieste in Italy. So uh, we really, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be not seeing uh, the, you know the sight of daylight for a while. Right, and in that in that circuit you mentioned, please don't forget our friends at Fantastic Fest in Austin, which is around that. It's in between Fantasia and Stitches, and that is a. Uh, it's a great festival because uh, the food is really good in Austin. So <laughs> that's okay, the... we'll be there for that. Uh, for no other reason. Uh, well, that's cool. All right, great. Well, listen, so uh, if, if you're listening to this and it's still before March 10th, if you haven't let your podcasts uh, pile up like the dishes in the sink, uh, go to the Indiegogo page, take a look, see, uh, see what level of donation makes sense for you. And um, and if if you can't donate anything, at least you know at least uh, start following it on Facebook and Twitter and and keep abreast of what's happening because it's going to be a different and new uh, type of thing. And uh, I think this show answers the show that we just did now answers that first question: What do we need with a new DS9 doc? And I think there's going to be a, a lot of cool uh, stuff uh, that reflects on what the show means to a lot of people. Uh, and uh, we'll be uh, and and if for the love of Spock, if it's half as good as for the love of Spock, I think we're all in good in 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 good shape. How does that sound? Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate that. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen. So I know you guys. Uh, you know, we said about a half hour, and we've been on the phone for fifty minutes. So I owe you twenty minutes. So uh, we're going to say goodbye. But once again, thanks for coming on the show. And I'm sure that um, we'll meet up at some point, and maybe we can uh, talk again. And I look forward to seeing the film when it's done. We'll keep you apprised, Jordan, and thank you again for inviting us to come on the show. It's always a pleasure, and uh, to all your fans out there, live long and prosper. Excellent. Thanks again. Okay, thanks a lot, Jordan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.